Hello, I'm Amber Lowther and welcome to another episode of Fashion Avenue. Before I jump in to today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I have launched an online podcasting 101 webinar and the tickets are now on sale. I'm teaming up with a colleague of mine, Cassie Walker, and she is incredible. And between us, we have so much experience in the digital space, in podcasting, in audio in voice work and production and so much more. So if you want to start a podcast, then learn from us, some podcasting experts on how you can create and grow a successful podcast from scratch in our informational webinar. It's being held on May 11th from 7pm until 8.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Early bird tickets are now on sale, so get in quick. And we hope to see you there. The link to purchase tickets will be in the description of this episode. Now, let's jump in to today's podcast. So today, I'm chatting to Chi Mai, founder of fine jewelry brand Skin Studio, which focuses on creating high-quality, everyday jewelry that doesn't hurt your skin. I spoke to Chi about feeling pressure from her parents about her career, ethical jewelry, and what she learned from dealing with a dodgy manufacturer early on. Now, if you want to hear all of this and much more, then make sure you keep on listening to this episode of Fashion Avenue. Chi, thank you so much for joining me on Fashion Avenue. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Amber? Very good, thank you. How's 2021 treating you so far? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. It's been a very hot day here in Melbourne. It's like 41 at the moment. It's like a a pretty good day for my kind of half day off and talking to you. Um, I'm planning to go (laughs) to the beach after this, but I'm so keen. I'm so jealous. It's hotter down there than it is in Brisbane right now, so I'm super jealous. Yeah, I think it must be like a heat wave that we're having at the moment, and then tomorrow it's downpour rain. It's just how Melbourne is. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I thought I would just jump in to a bunch of questions for you. I've read a bit about your bio, to be honest. I did some research and I saw that you were originally working in management consulting and I know you felt pressure from your parents with your career choice. Yeah. So in terms of my management consulting career, I actually didn't even start before I (laughs) failed and didn't even get into any of my graduate applications. So I did a bit of um, student management consulting during my my course in management and marketing at Melbourne University. I was involved in several charities that dealt with solving social problems for organizations like World Vision. I became really interested in it and the career was really interesting with so many different ways that you can go. All of my peers that studied management consulting were also on the same path. So towards the end of my degree, I sort of thought, you know, I'll apply for the various graduate roles in management consulting and see how I go. And turns out I'm not good enough. Oh <laughs> I got knocked back for every single role I applied for. It was really hard as well because I was an international student at the time. Yep. So a lot of the companies didn't really take on international students. You have to have a permanent residency visa in order to even apply for it. So wow. the ones that I were able to apply to, I either failed it like the last stage of the application process or I just didn't get in at all. Right. So. 
I mean, it was a big hit to my self-esteem because growing up with an Asian background, my parents in particular, but myself also, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well in pretty much every aspect of life, including my career. So while my parents didn't, wouldn't really like express disappointment, I felt like I had to set myself up uh, high expectations for my career. And so when that didn't work out, it sort of just hit me really hard and I felt like a failure. And (laughs) um, I took some time off to reflect and sort of spent the end of my 2017 in East Gippsland, which is where my husband is from. And that was, yeah, that was when skin sort of turned from just an idea into to something that I would never imagine it would have. Oh my gosh. And so when did you kind of let, I guess, your previous thoughts of what you were going to do kind of go? And when did you decide to follow your dreams? Yes. So I, when I came out of uni, I landed a marketing role in a Sydney-based flight forwarding company, which sounds really shifty, but they were (laughs) the best company that I could have started with because I learned a lot being the only person in that business who knew anything about marketing. I was only with them for about two years, but in during that time, I like gained a bunch of awards for them. And that sort of like was during the time when I was trying to figure out what I want to do with Skin Studio and kind of reflect and and spend some time to work on myself and immerse myself in the things that I went before I came to you came to Australia for uni I was really enjoying I always have loved fashion and I had a little small online store when I was in Vietnam in my year 12 um yeah and I sold um all over the world I was on Instagram and we had heaps of followers but you know I had to like stop that when I came over to Australia so I did have like that bit of entrepreneurship in me I think so after um, two years of going spending half of my time with skin growing skin and then the other half of my time in Sydney going back and forth from Sydney to Melbourne I thought yeah let's just give it a go oh. <laughs> so two and a half years later here, here I am skin's yeah. a so successful so, business yeah, oh my gosh it's amazing congrats and can I ask why jewelry specifically oh good question so when I sort of stopped following my path with management consulting I felt like I was kind of not happy so much in that career path I spent some time in East Gippsland immersing myself in like country Victoria in nature and family in slow life and I felt incredibly happy and during that time I did a lot of just doodles designs just here and there and also at that time, my husband bought me a necklace from a really well-known online Instagram retailer that I loved. Yeah. But after wearing it for a week, it tarnished and it gave me a rash. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And I, I asked him, did you buy me a cheap necklace? And he said, he, he swear to God to this day, it's not cheap at all. But I had very sensitive skin and I soon realized that the jewelry was plated. And so it was causing my skin to become very irritated. Wow. Um, so it was this time, yeah, that I thought, you know, there must be a better way to make jewelry affordable while still being like good quality. You don't have to like take it off when you wear it in the shower, but you can also wear it for more than a week, yeah. which was when I found the answer, which was gold fill, not gold plated materials, which is where the idea of skin was born. 
Wow. So gold fill is a very strong material that doesn't tarnish. It uses a different process to making gold-plated jewelry. It's essentially, if you think of like painting a house or even just painting a piece of metal, yeah, gold-plated is basically just a dip in that paint, whereas gold fill, you're melting that paint onto the top layer of the base metal and that way it's mechanically bonded onto the piece of jewelry and that particular process of making jewelry is not very well known and it's only more prevalent in the US and in um, Brazil. Wow. And uh, yeah, so while back at the time when I was setting up skin, I didn't know much about it. And it was really challenging to actually find people who would actually make my designs and for it to be ethical as well, which is an entirely different ballpark altogether. Yeah, for sure. And I know that skin almost didn't get off the ground and you dealt with a dodgy manufacturer. What happened? Yeah, so I set out to find a manufacturer that would help make my first ever collection. And I found a really amazing manufacturer that could do gold fill based in India. And after, you know, putting together some some samples and preliminary collection CAD designs, I paid my first deposit of $5,000 for my first order, which was a huge amount back then because I was just a fresh uni student. And I didn't, that was all of my savings. Anyway, and after about a month, the manufacturer pretty much went silent. And yeah, I couldn't contact them at all. So I I thought, oh, this must be it. Like this, I, I just, this is just my luck. I have to find a new manufacturer and, and save up again and try again. But luckily, I found a second manufacturer and I spoke to these guys who contacted the first manufacturer and then asked them to refund me. The second manufacturer, yeah, was also based in India. So they were able to communicate with each other. And turns out, obviously, the first manufacturer was just really dodgy. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so this one act of kindness, like pretty much just sold me on this second manufacturer. And of course, I then went into the process of vetting them by looking into their ethical processes, approach to sustainability and whether or not they actually had their technology available to create gold filled jewelry. And of course, they ticked all the boxes. So I went ahead with the production. And to this day, we are still working with this manufacturer and they're a family based business. All of their office staff are lovely female staff. And it's just amazing that it turns out that way that they were able to help me and create a beautiful story to this day yeah that's so lovely wow what great people as well to actually like go and get your money back oh my god I know they had like absolutely no obligation whatsoever. I wasn't even, I like, I didn't even had an order with them or anything. And they just said, give that guy's number to us and we'll talk to them. And I couldn't believe it. Oh my God. That's so lucky. (laughs) That is so lucky. Wow. (laughs) And so what did you learn, I guess, from that bad experience and what advice would you give to someone looking at manufacturing their product for the first time? Yes. So I think in terms of manufacturing overseas, I understand the pain of a lot of businesses 
in trying to find a manufacturer that suits you. And I think the biggest thing that helped me, aside from the fact that I was really lucky that one time, was from then on, I made sure to vet every single manufacturer, either with a bias agent in the local country or just looking through a lot of their online footprint or even any certifications they have. For example, my current manufacturer is now certified with Responsible Jewelry Council. So being able to trace some of that back, even though I wasn't able to visit, helped me a lot in making sure that that manufacturer in themselves were able to deliver the pieces that I did order. So I would yeah, suggest having uh, some research and due diligence when looking into a new manufacturer and also So I would also recommend having more than one manufacturer. So in 2020, I... Oh, it was so difficult. And the primary factory in India that I just mentioned, they suffered terribly from coronavirus, which left me out of stock for around eight months in 2020. And at a time when I was growing so fast, this put a big wrench in the works. So I had to pivot and go back to my route to make jewelry myself from findings and from manufacturers in USA in order to solidify our audience, in order to cultivate that community aspect that then was able to wait and would be happy to wait for the pieces that we previously did to come back. So out of that, I learned to not have more than one manufacturer in one country. I think that's a really good lesson to have nowadays to have pretty much not all of your eggs in one basket. Just solidifies your supply chain a little bit better. Wow, that's good advice. I like that. And I know that obviously starting a business often requires some upskilling. And what areas did you kind of choose to familiarize yourself with when starting your business? So when I started my business, I... Um, I'm such a self-starter and I feel like a lot of the businesses that succeed is the very beginning parts when you, the person that represents the business, know every part of your business and is able to, I guess, take care of the needs of the business. And so during that first part, first two years, I reckon, I learned every single thing that I could have ever done in order to make the business run. So for example, I taught myself how to learn how to do my own website. I taught myself how to do Facebook ads. Everything was very basic, but I like being able to know how to do it yourself. And then when the time comes, you know what kind of expert you need is really helpful. And during that time when I upskilled myself and learned through things like YouTube tutorials, Google, Facebook groups, stuff like that, I was able to kind of look into the customer journey and understand what touch points my customer had with my brand and therefore able to improve those different touch points to increase conversion. So yeah, so I think do as much as possible by yourself. And and if you can't, you can start outsourcing. But I always at the beginning thought about the important part, which is ROI. So if that that part is not important to your business right now and if it doesn't generate a positive ROI right now and you don't have infinite cash to spend, maybe put it towards the marketing things that are highest in ROI so that you are able to then save some of that cost and scale in the future. Right. Oh my God, that's great advice. I like that, you know, you need to be across your business and kind of know how everything works. I think that's super important to also achieve like success from 
the start as well? Yeah, and I at the beginning, I been taught by my parents very good financial literacy. And so at the beginning of my business and, and up until this day, I only like recently got an accountant because wow. I did study a bit of accounting in university. So I kept a really clean um, Excel sheet and, you know, kept track of everything. Yeah. Such a nerd. But, I love that. It's so um, good. <laughs> so sure. But yeah, yeah, I only recently got an accountant in the past six months when the business was too busy for me to kind of like boggle myself down in spreadsheets anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Spreadsheets. I'm not a fan of spreadsheets, but I can appreciate <laughs> what they do. <laughs> and can I also just, for the people who are kind of new to business and are listening, what did you mean by ROI and what does that mean? So ROI is short for return on investment. Mm-hmm. So the amount of money or effort or time that you put into something and what you would potentially get back from the amount of money or time or effort that you spent in. So for example, you can have a positive ROI so you regain more value or more money or more time saved than you spent or you can have a negative ROI which is the opposite. So I, like I said, would have back when I first started would always keep in mind of the ROI and if it has a negative ROI, I would never <laughs> go down the path. Yeah. And if it costed too much, I would then do the cost-benefit analysis and see if this would gain a positive result for my business in the future. It could be like five years from now, even if you don't gain the return on investment straight away. But I was careful to, to think of that. Great. I love that. That's good for you know people who are just starting out or who want to start a business if they're not really mm-hmm. up to date with the lingo. There you go. That's your first <laughs> lesson. <laughs> and I know that there were days where you would have no sales and you had a lot of pressure on yourself, as you said before. And how did you start to grow the business and when did you start to see it pick up? Yeah. So I mentioned my Asian background and my very like I guess tough on myself mentality. So at the beginning when I had one to two sales per month and days were really dark sometimes and I felt like giving up, it was really important to me to continue keeping myself busy. And at that time I had a lot of free time as well as you know working in a full-time job. It kind of helped me to not dwell on that too much. But at times when I felt like I did need to pretty much do something otherwise my business going to sink. I always look back into things like website conversion and I met a really beautiful Gold Coast based marketer who taught me everything I know now about conversion marketing and she's amazing. Her name is Brinley King. My husband, back then when I, I didn't have like any money to sort of like spend on marketing courses. I had to learn everything through YouTube. My husband offered to pay her course for me and for her to to teach me um, the way. So yeah, he like... He's the biggest supporter and I owe everything to him. But anyway, I then looked into upskilling myself through that course and she was able to teach me so many ways that you can do and what you can improve in terms of your website conversion. And I'm no means like an expert now. I just know that if you keep the ball rolling, it always helps with that kind of self-critical nature that I always have had. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, so it kind of when I met Brinley and Brinley taught me email marketing as well as conversion optimization. So I changed over from the good old MailChimp <laughs> into Clavio and that pretty much took off the business. Clavio wow. is a very advanced email marketing tool that pretty much sets you up with different flows, different automated flows that nurtures your customer or a potential customer towards the purchase. So being able to have that sort of touch point tied in with the the idea of email marketing being something that you own, so not like social media where Facebook is a channel that can disappear like tomorrow. An email address is something that you have of people that they have signed up to hear from you. So it's, it's a channel that is so underutilized and I was able to learn how to cultivate a community and and create a better and more sustainable email marketing strategy mm-hmm. and that pushed the the business from being you know a hobby business towards more of a marketing e-commerce type business Wow. And something just, I guess, in a way, the thought of it seems so simple. Like how can something like that just, you know, change everything? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The the moment I switched, I just realized the power of email marketing, but also obviously because you've got to actually get those emails in the first place. I did experiment with a lot of different ways to generate traffic. So you've got your brand awareness, the very top of your funnel. I have found found that for our business, influencer marketing has been the most successful. So in late 2018, I had my first influencer campaign went viral and it generated over 18,000 in revenue in a month. (laughs) Yeah. And that was the moment I was like, wow, I've really just struck gold. This is the the marketing strategy for my business. So also because I back when I first started my business in Vietnam in 2013 when Instagram was just booming I followed Skinny Me Tea I don't know if you've oh, heard yeah, of them Skinny Me Tea yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's um, a business started by Greta Van Riel yes. um, yeah so I saw that she started a course on how to start and scale your own business I literally jumped onto it and bought it because I knew the success of Skinny Me Tea from the earlier days yeah. so I knew that I was like that influencer effect worked on me so I knew that influence marketing would work for a lot of the people that we were trying to target. So at the beginning, we had a very small budget. Most of it went into the cost of jewelry and postage for influencers or content creators that just wanted to create content in exchange for jewelry. And I met an influencer slash content creator who is now my one of my greatest friends. She was She's based in the Netherlands and she had a beautiful vintage aesthetic. And I reached out to her to do a blog post on her beautiful content. And we started working together a few months. And for our first anniversary, our first business anniversary, I released a limited edition collection. I asked her to do a paid post. And it was like maybe 100 euros or something like that. She did a beautiful necklace stack. It went viral and it attracted more than 50,000 likes and saves. And both of us was under 10K at the time Oh my God. in followers. So the reach was insane. And so to this day, that image is still circulating Pinterest. And I still have oh my people God, ask me if. Yes. 
Yeah, I still have people asking if I if I have these pieces anymore. But anyway, so that month alone, I grossed over eighteen thousand in revenue, and it was the biggest the biggest month I ever had since starting my brand. And I knew that this was something that I could tap into. Wow, that is amazing! Oh my goodness, that is like. You know, if it works. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like within like a couple months, I knew. I knew this was like a strategy. If you really knew your audience and if you knew the influences that lined up with that audience, you're, you'd struck gold. Yeah. Oh, my God. And how long did it take from you kind of starting and launching your business to you really kind of see that growth? How long was that period in between? I see from that one month that was, I guess, an outlier in between that startup phase, I think it took around two years for it to actually become like a legit business that I could, you know, say, oh, I'm going to jump into it full time. I did a lot of like overtime work though, because I still had my full-time job uh, in Sydney. (laughs) And on the weekends, I would go to my market, dabbled into retail, try to go to different stockists all over Melbourne, pitch my my jewelry. And then of course, growing Instagram was a big part of the business as well. So that probably took about a year, a year and a half. And then we started to work with more influencers and we started to experiment with more marketing campaigns, things like Facebook ads, things like Google ads. Yeah. So that then took it to, I guess, the level it is now. Yeah. My God. Do you also kind of take part in things like Black Friday and, you know, certain holiday specials? Do you take part in things like that to try to like bring in, I guess, more customers or revenue? Yeah, so we have a marketing calendar that we follow in terms of the big retail events. I try not to do too many, I guess, sales events because I'm all about value adding rather than discounting. I think it's better to show customers how much you can get in in value in terms of the extra things that they might get or even like bundling and bundling discounts rather than discount or everything at the same time. So we do have two major sales that we do every year, which is Black Friday and our anniversary sale. Oh, good. So, yeah. So it just celebrates us as a brand, but also our Black Friday is always centered around slow buying. We never do like a one day, you have to get it or you'll miss out. I think that's such a backwards way to promote. And I think it just promotes excessive consumption. And I'm really not about that at all in terms of our business. It's very sustainable and, and ethically geared. So we always extend our holiday offer in order for people to think about the jewelry that they want and then get it when they're ready. Yeah, I like that. I think that's important as well. Obviously, as a sustainable brand, you want to, yeah, stay that way and not kind of go into the rabbit hole of all that other stuff, so... Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about your pieces. They are Mm -hmm. beautiful, gorgeous, amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Where do you find kind of inspiration for your designs and what you're going to release next? I think a lot of it is my experiences as well as travels. So our existing collection. So we've got a Magnolia and Iris collection, which was inspired by my grandmother's um, jewelry. So we released that. Yeah, in Mother's Day to celebrate the women in our lives. Awesome. Uh, we then released a Zodiac collection, which was requested by our community. I have a very strong relationship. 
relationship with all of our loyal customers, as well as, of course, over the years, building a, an Instagram community. I try to listen to what they want instead of trying to create things yeah. that might not be received very well. So we always, every year, ask people, what do you want to see next? And a Zodiac was, as a result, some of that request and it it does really well and I don't know how but we are really proud of the the pieces that we've created and then Italy collection I was this was a, such a, tri- a special trip to me because it was my first overseas trip that I saved up for it was also the trip I got engaged at oh nice yeah and obviously Italy is such a beautiful romantic country that I the jewelry ideas explode and then in terms of inspiration for future collections I always think about what the typical skin studio buyer or customer would be wanting to see from us as well as natural things like for example people who are our age at the moment are probably thinking about getting married and so we do have something for the bridal market that we're going to be releasing soon as well. Oh that's lovely I love that it's so funny that you said about the Zodiac collection because I was about to say it's my favorite and I was going to ask I was going to ask if there was a collection that's been more popular so there you go. Yeah Zodiac (laughs) has been really popular just because the pieces are so unique yeah. Um, the designs were made in conjunction with the illustrator slash artist. Her name is Hannah Johnson. Right. She's in Melbourne as well. Oh, so that was, yeah, that was a lovely collaboration. To oh my do. gosh, you know? yeah, it's beautiful. I'm like, I'm would be one of those people that's like Zodiac Collection on that train. So it's definitely oh. my favourite. Yeah, I think like ever since I released that collection, I've been such a Zodiac person myself, even though before that I was never really into, you know, reading my sign chat. But yeah, I've learned a lot about myself uh, being a Virgo. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm a Gemini. Oh, I love that. Very sensitive. Yeah. I have this app and it's called CoStar and I downloaded it at the start of the year and it gives you kind of like a daily horoscope that pops up on your phone and I love it. And it's yeah, all about like your I, moon sign and everything. Yeah, I've heard it. a lot about it and my brother, he reads into it and he is like super passionate about reading your age, your sign chart, all of this. He like sends it to me daily. So I don't need a CoStar. My CoStar is my brother. <laughs> That's so funny. That's hilarious. Well, look, if it's in yep. the family, then take, yeah. take that up. Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I know that customers can also mix and match necklaces and earrings. Is that right? Yeah. So we introduced this offering in early 2019 and it's been a hit just in terms of the customization that you can get. So customization has been a trend that I've seen in the jewelry industry for quite some time now and it's it's not stopping. And we saw that there was a lot of people looking for minimal jewelry that they were able to customize, not only for like personalization type standpoint, but also to get the most out of your money. So we created a mix and match earrings collection and a mix and match necklace collection that helps people to 
build their own stack that is gold-filled, ethically made, and we all put it together in our studio for them and be able to be interchangeable. So all the charms, for example, you can take off and you can mix it up and put different charms on for a different day. And that's just sorts of reduce the amount of waste that people would otherwise have bought for multiple purchases or multiple hoops and they they can only wear it one way so the multi-use for us really made sense and then in terms of customizing your necklace we've had a lot of great feedback on our initial necklaces that people really love being able to spell out their own name or even just their first name initial it's just really dainty (laughs) and special I love that that's actually one of my kind of like favorite yeah and it's so understated. I know. It's like, it's so funny. Just that personalization trend. Everyone's like, yep, I need my name on everything. I need everyone to know what letter my name starts with. I need to wear it. You know, it's just quite funny how we've all kind of just flocked to that trend. Yeah, but I think it's it's also about communicating ourselves. And I yeah. think after 2020, when we're not really so much in, in people's spaces, it's a lot of self-reflection and working on yourself and, and celebrating that. Uh, I think the customization trend and even just that aspect of jewelry, not so much as a trend, it will forever be a really important part of telling stories for yeah, jewelry. Yeah, for sure. It's never really gone out of fashion, I guess. Like, yeah, definitely. You know, even as a kid you know I would get little pieces with a on it so yeah I remember that little cute blocks that you put on your bracelet charm yes oh my god so cute I love that and I know that skin studio is part of one percent for the planet so what is that So 1% for the Planet is an organization founded on the grounds that we have a responsibility to protect the planet. It was created by the founder of Pantagonia and they started to look at ways that we can pretty much give back to the environment. So as a 1% of the Planet member, we donate 1% of all of our earnings towards high-impact Nonprofit organizations like Planting Trees, Green Fleet, they work towards a more sustainable future. So, for example, we offset all of our carbon in all of our purchases, our supply chain, as well as operations. And that contributes towards replanting, tree planting projects in the native regions of the world, for example, in Colombia or even in Australia as well. Yeah, so supply chain is such a big part of our story and the brand commitment. I think everyone saw during the recent bushfires that Mm. this was such an important part of not only our personal lives, but everything about the business is never, it, it can't be business as usual anymore. You have to change and move away from that really devastating trajectory that we were heading in. So yeah, becoming a 1% for the planet member was, was just one stepping stone, but we are as a, as a business trying to change the way that we do things. So for example, our factories are now certified members of the responsible Jewelry Council, we're also socially accredited by BSCI for ethical and legal treatment of workers. As a supply chain, we try to commit to a no version plastic. All 100% of plastic has been eliminated from orders. Um, wow. So that's one step. But obviously, you know, 
sustainability is is a journey for everyone. You don't have to be perfect. And we we try to not communicate that we are perfect. We always want to hear feedback from our customers and other people and learn from other businesses on how to contribute towards a better future. I love that. Especially for our environment, you know, of course, eventually for the earth. So important, you know, everything that's, you know, gone on in the world and as you said, the bushfires and things like that, it's just horrible and seeing... Absolutely, yeah. It's devastating. Yeah, I was just so disheartened and obviously with everyone else feeling the same urge to do uh, to do something to change the way that that we're doing things in our own lives, I felt like that was such a pivotal moment to commit myself towards making my my own personal life as well as my business long term to be sustainable. For sure. Good on you. That's awesome. I love that. I think businesses kind of need to find a, a way to kind of give back as well. And I think it's great that so many businesses now are really starting to jump onto that and give back and make it a part of their business ethics as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. The more the merrier. Absolutely. And finally, where can we get our hands on Skin Studio pieces? So you can find us on our website, which is s-kin, so skin.com.au. And you can also find us very much on our Instagram at skinstudioj underscore. And yeah. Awesome. Pretty much love it. We'll make sure everyone follows then. Your pieces are awesome. Your Instagram's amazing. So very aesthetically pleasing, I would say. (laughs) It's very nice to scroll and have a look at. So thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay, so I wanted to jump into a few random questions for you, if I may. Oh, I love this section. I am so excited to hear what (laughs) questions you've chosen for me. Oh, isn't everyone? Everyone gets really nervous. It's really funny. So number one, would you rather listen to an annoying laugh all day or get tickled for an hour? Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Tickled for an hour just because I don't think I can live not hearing it again. <laughs> if if I had to listen to someone laugh, a really annoying laugh for an hour, I don't think it would come out of my head for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. But also tickling is agony. Like being tickled oh. is the worst. I know. But like once it's done, it's done, you know? Yeah, true. The laugh just yeah. goes on forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And number two, what skin studio piece can't you live without? It's like choosing a favorite child. Ooh, oh, yeah. That's just impossible. <laughs> um, okay. But the one that I think struck with me the most is the story of my first tattoo, which is I got in Italy. It is a traditional Venetian mask of the sun and moon. And I got it in celebration of my engagement with my husband. And I turned that into a piece of jewelry that I wear literally every day. It's called the Venezia necklace. So yeah, I think that would have to be my the most special piece that I've ever created. Oh, that's nice. It sounds lovely. Yeah. I love that story. That's really nice. I love it. I love it as well. Like it's so special to me. Oh, that's lovely. And number three, just a bit of a random one. What was the last mm-hmm. photo you took? Oh, I have to open my camera, but I feel like all of my camera roll is so boring because it's all skin studio related. Oh, but actually it's 
a photo of a sugarcane stall that I went to on the weekend. Um, yeah, so I went to a lunar festival. I'm Vietnamese, so I celebrate lunar festival, lunar new year, sorry, and we call it Tet. So I went to Richmond on the weekend to check out the, the Tet festival and it was so hot. So we went to get some sugarcane juice and it was yum. so amazing. Oh my gosh, yum. <laughs> yes, that is a good answer. Now I really want some. I could go with so juice. refreshing. Oh. oh, it's 41 degrees here. I would die for it right now. I know. Oh, you poor thing. And here I am with you on the phone. You're probably like, oh my God, I just need to go to the beach and get some juice. <laughs> get on with it, Amber. I need to go. <laughs> so funny. Oh my God. Well, I won't keep you for much longer. You have been so amazing, Chi. Thank you so much for your time and talking to me about your journey in Skin Studio. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to be on Fashion Avenue. I have been a fan for so long. And um, yeah, I hope that the talk was kind of helpful to anyone listening out there. Absolutely it was. I love that you have been listening. That's awesome. And I love having people on that have actually listened. So it's even better. So thank you. Amazing. (laughs) Bye. Bye. You have been listening to a Fashion Avenue production hosted by me, Amber Lowther, and produced by me as well. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at Fashion Avenue Podcast. And if you want to follow myself too, at Amber Lowther. Feel free to join the private podcast Facebook group and subscribe to our email newsletter for the latest updates and giveaways. But most importantly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review.